Hello, Patriots. Welcome back to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today, I'll be recapping the midterm elections and answering the question of whether there is Trump fatigue within the Republican Party. Next, on Living with Liberty. the 2022 midterms are in the books was it the red wave slash tsunami being predicted that honestly even that i thought was going to happen no it certainly wasn't that and given everything that's gone on i would dare say it was a bit of a disappointing showing by the republicans up and down the ballot especially when you look at it from a high level Now, there's plenty of excuses. There's no shortage of that at any time you see something like this happen where uh, reality didn't match expectations. And it's everything around abortion being a bigger issue uh, to then, I guess, abortion being a bigger issue than what was maybe being portrayed or thought at the time to candidate quality to even election fraud cheating etc here's the thing as a nation we've gone into our little tribes and we refuse to consider possibilities outside those little tribes and those little tribes consist of the people that think elections are never going to be secure or fair ever again so anytime an election doesn't go their way now they're going to just automatically go to we had election cheating blah, blah, blah. You have your Trump tribe who says everything, you know, Trump does is, is gold. He could crap in his hand and hand it to you and you'd think it's the best thing ever. So we have the Trump tribe out there. Uh, you've got the political party tribes, right? You've got people that are going to vote Democrat, no matter what, no matter what data, facts, figures, whatever are put in front of their face, no matter what they're feeling, they're going to pull the handle for that Democrat no matter what. You got the same thing on the Republican side, too. So you got this tribalism that happens. No, you know, and, and it's been social media. It's legacy media. It's, it's been politicians that have pushed us into these little tribes, and they're the ones not wanting us to consider alternative points of view. And I think that played a part, that played a big part in our elections. And if you listen to some of the commentary like I have over the past few days here since Election Day, there's been that that uh, point has been made as well that we just this was a an election based in rooted in to a certain degree tribalism and that was a big factor of it that that we couldn't break that that we've become so divided we've come uh, we've come to the point where we're not willing to consider other points of view and and truthfully those those in power don't want us considering the other points of view they want to continue to lie and 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 pull the wool over our eyes so they can remain in power that, that so that's that's part of of what i think was a big big factor in in not seeing the red wave slash tsunami that you know we were predicting here we have serious issues within our country that both reasonable dems Independents and Republicans agree upon that need to be addressed. But because of this tribalism, 
we're not going to be able to address them because we've, in a number of cases, voted for the same thing. We've, we've, we're voting for the same thing, expecting different results, the very definition of insanity. I mean, these, these are issues that should have resulted in swinging the moderate Dems who are disaffected with the party and left-leaning and even very centrist independents in big numbers to vote Republican for Senate seats and for uh, the House and at the state level. And, and it would have created the wave that everybody was expecting now, we saw, to be fair, we did see these swings in pockets, Florida particularly. They're doing something right down there in Florida. I think Texas, to a certain degree, some of these other states. Um, here in Wisconsin, we were very status quo, I'd call it, based on, on the election results. We ended up with our same dummy Democrat governor and attorney general at the state level. Luckily, uh, Ron Johnson was reelected. So we had some crossover there for sure uh, between him and, and radical Mandela Barnes. So we saw some swings in pockets. We saw, and be fair, Ron Johnson is status quo. I mean, he was an incumbent. So, so we, but you know, what we were looking for from, from a status quo standpoint, if, if, you know, from uh, it, to, to say that that in that instance, status quo was a good thing. We know what we're getting with Ron Johnson, but we saw and we we saw swings in in pockets. We saw swings in states like New York, where I believe it's been four seats that were really Democrat held, and from a significant standpoint, Democrat leaning districts that uh, are now in uh, uh, now have Republican representatives uh, that will be uh, heading to Washington for those districts. So we did see this swing. Now, did we see it on a large uh, on a large scale? No. I mean, Kathy Hochul. And, um, you know, her face that looks like the Santa from the toy Santa from Santa Claus 2 is still governor of New York. I mean, Gavin Newsom in California, that wasn't going to swing. So, I mean, you throw that one in the garbage. I, I've, I've seen some things about Gavin Newsom. How did they know California already that he won? Well, let's look at the makeup of California. Did you really think Gavin Newsom was going to get any less than 70% of the vote? No. Exit polling's you know, was probably polling at 80%. You can call that thing right away from a statewide level. There's there's no way at a statewide level in California, major changes need to happen before anything um, can, you know, anything can remove the Democrats from power at a state level in California. You weren't going to get anything there, but we're, we're still seeing, you know, some swings. Nevada, well, a Democrat-leaning state, looks like they're going to have a Democrat governor and a Democrat, or um, excuse me, a Republican governor and a Republican senator are going to take those, um, uh, take the vote there. And so they're going to win there, and it's going to, you know, swing that state back to uh, conservative hands, it looks like, at, at a state level with the governorship. And then in Washington, should get another senator there. And uh, so th- there's been these swings, right? That's the, the point here. I'm rambling on, but there's been these swings here. And they've been in pockets, not across the board. And I believe, one, tribalism, uh, as I alluded to earlier, played a part in that, right, in why we didn't have these widespread swings. And I think it's been crappy messaging on the part of Republicans. Uh, Once again, they can't get out of their own way. They don't know how to message. Um, They tried, in some cases, we'll get into it a little bit, they tried to take a little bit of a, 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 um, a page from the Democrats' playbook here, and it failed. 
as it should, as it should have, right? Because it's we called Democrats out for doing it. Republicans tried it and it failed. And some of uh, of of it, I believe, it comes down to establishment interference, right? We had some outsider candidates that were running the establishment. The Uniparty didn't like that, so Republicans got their nose in a snit and paired with Democrats to make sure that that candidate, the Republican candidate, didn't win. Did that happen on large scale? No, but I, it's part of, of what I think happened here in, in some instances. Uh, and then I think it's missteps at the top of the ballot. We'll see some underperformance at the top of the ballot that really had an impact down ballot. And I do think there's Trump fatigue out there. And I think that plays a little bit hand in hand with the establishment interference. So, Yes, I think there were some things like abortion probably did have a, a little bit of an impact, not as big as the Democrats are going to want you to believe. But I think reading some of the the articles, listening to some of the feedback from elections, some of the exit polls they did on issues people voted on, I, I think it played a, a little bit of a part, and but not as big of a part as what I think people want to blame it on. You, you really got to look at the root cause and, and what we're trying to do here when you when you're running for office and that's to get a message out and that's to show that you are different from what's currently in office. And once again, Republicans weren't up to the task in big enough numbers on that. Just that simple. Now you might be sitting there still saying, but Ryan, Oz was a bad candidate in Pennsylvania. I don't know why Trump endorsed him. I don't know why Oz was, was the nominee coming out of the Republican, uh, the, the Republican primaries, I'll say this. I, do, you really, do you really believe that? Look who he was up against. Would you say Mehmet Oz was a worse candidate than John Fetterman and his ho- hoodie du jour? Do you really believe in your heart, oh, Oz was such a bad candidate? Really? Look at, t- look at John Fetterman. The guy can't speak. He's obviously brain damaged right now. I hope he recovers and, and has a full recovery from his stroke, but he's not fit for office. Right, he's not fit for office, and even if he was uh, fully functional in the the brain region, there he still wouldn't be fit for office because the guy's a radical. So, do you really think Mehmet Oz was a worse candidate? Was a bad candidate? Now, I'm going to prove to you that Mehmet Oz really wasn't a bad candidate. It's it's just absurd to suggest that an accomplished physician who's actually done something in their life was a worse candidate than a guy who lived in mommy and daddy's basement into his 40s, hasn't done anything in his life, and basically ruined the town he was mayor of. That's just absurd to say that Mehmet Oz was a worse candidate than John Fetterman. If you're looking at an election, you got to look at the candidates. Was Oz a bad candidate? No. Oz got bitten. By a few things. One, being major underperformance at the top of the ballot in the in the uh, Pennsylvania governor's race. And the other thing he got bit by was tribalism. But in this case, it was tribalism in terms of a cult, call it a cultural fit versus political tribalism. And we'll get into that, what I mean by that in a minute here. Now, we look at the top of the Pennsylvania ballot. Doug Mastriano for governor, I believe it was a Trump guy, got his ass handed to him electorally. He lost that race by 14 points, almost 14 points. You can't tell me that if the the Republican at the top of the ballot at the the governor's uh, in the governor race there 
losing by 14 points, you can't tell me that doesn't affect down ballot. It absolutely does. That's a huge margin to lose by at the top of the ballot. It certainly impacted everything down ballot, including Mehmet Oz's race for Senate. If you look at what the vote totals, look at the vote totals. Oz actually got more crossover votes because he had almost 250,000 more votes than Mastriano. Mehmet Oz got more, listen to this, Mehmet Oz got more votes than Doug Mastriano did for governor. What does that tell you? Oh, Oz was a bad candidate. No, he got more votes. If anything, Mastriano looks like he was the bad candidate. Oz only lost by four points to Fetterman in his first run in a state that he only lived in for two years. Now, the other thing, we'll get to this tribalism thing here. Uh, in terms of in in Pennsylvania and what I meant by that. So you look at the exit polling CNN did, and it showed that Pennsylvanians, they asked, how how do you feel about Mehmet Oz? Has he been in Pennsylvania long enough to run for Senate? You look at the exit polling that CNN did on that question, and Pennsylvanians didn't feel that Oz had lived in the state long enough to represent it. Like I said, he'd only moved there two years ago. He's been there since 2020. Pennsylvanians seem to have selected Fetterman, I'll say selected, right? They selected him. I don't, he, he wasn't necessarily elected. He wasn't the best candidate to represent Pennsylvania. I'm sorry if you voted for him, Pennsylvanians. He's not. They selected Fetterman based on him being a longtime Pennsylvanian resident. I, I forget if he's native Pennsylvanian or not. I believe he is. So he's a native son to Pennsylvania, let's call it. If he's not, he's been there a long, long time. So you add these things up, you add up this exit poll that, hey, uh, Pennsylvanians are like, oh, we don't think Fetterman's been, or uh, we don't think Oz has been here long enough to represent us, and Fetterman has, and you add up the fact that Oz scored 250,000 more votes than the, the governor candidate, which is typically the, the race that gets the most votes on the ballot. And it doesn't sound like a bad candidate to me. It sounds like Mastriano was not the best candidate to run for governor to lead the top of the ballot, and that Pennsylvanians aren't willing to objectively look at each candidate and their policy positions, instead opting for someone who is more viewed as one of them. So instead of looking at what's going to be good for Pennsylvania and our country, we're just going to pick somebody who is like us, who is a Pennsylvanian. I don't, you know, and yes, Oz had some messaging problems, especially early on. He got stronger as as the the, uh, campaign wore on, but yes, he had messaging problems at the start. That goes back to the other point of Republicans not being solid in their messaging. He corrected it. He, He almost, he almost, honestly, Oz almost pulled this off. I think they did have the the polls had this as a dead heat to maybe even Oz a little bit ahead by the time things happen. So by the time the the election happened, so he wasn't a bad candidate, and I this is what I believe was his first time running. So of course at that point too, your your campaign isn't as disciplined, especially out of the gate. It did get better as it went along. You had other factors here, and and you have this factor of we're just going to select somebody that's like us as opposed to their idiotic looking at their idiotic policy stances because we're more comfortable with that. 
Now, unfortunately, we're going to have to suffer as a nation of the consequences of the voters picking their comfort zone over competence with Fetterman as one of the senators from Pennsylvania for the next six years. So, so not only is Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania have to suffer with this, the rest of the country does too, because we got, you know, Mr. Hoodie himself on the Senate floor that isn't even going to be able to put a coherent argument together on behalf of Pennsylvanians. So congratulations, Pennsylvania. You elected a moron to the Senate, and now everybody has to suffer those consequences. This is why it's so important you vet candidates. And, and you know what? Even if you've got early voting in your state, wait until the last possible second to send that in. Pennsylvania has 50 days of early voting. Why in the hell do you need two months of early voting? I'll tell you why. So Democrats can win. That's why. It's, it's ridiculous to have that amount. And, and you have that amount. You have so many people that vote early, and then stuff comes out over the course of two months. Just stupid. Wait until the last possible moment if you're going to vote early to get it in and have your ballot counted, or just show up to the damn polls on election day. Now, the other thing here, kind of moving on, switching gears, did SCOTA striking down abortion? And I, I, did they strike? I even hate to put it that way. SCOTUS didn't strike abortion down in this country. They kick the decision back to the states because there's no constitutional right to abortion. There's nothing explicitly laid out in the Constitution that says abortion is a right of the people. That would be a constitutional amendment. I don't care how much Democrats want us to talk about codifying abortion into our laws. If you're going to say it's a right, that gets, to, uh, that gets an amendment on the Constitution. Plain and simple, end of story. Did that, did that decision of kicking abortion back to the states have an impact to the overall picture in, in this, in this uh, midterm election? Possibly. I would say possibly. I think in pockets it did. Democrats are going to play it up, of course, as having a huge impact, way bigger than it, than it, than it actually did. I don't see it as a big impact. Did it have some? Probably. I think it did a little bit. Now, abortion was well down the list of issues for voters, especially on the exit polls, no matter if they were Republican or Democrat. It had a hard time cracking the top five. I think the, the highest I saw was maybe fifth, fourth or fifth on the list of, of voters' top five issues that they went into this election wanting addressed. Okay, so we'll give it some credence. It was a top five issue. Now, I think where this issue of abortion... And uh, its legality and access to abortion would have been at play the most is in those close races where you had Democrats, moderate Democrats, even left-leaning independents, considering crossing over and voting for a Republican candidate. Did did, Did this issue play a little bit in the back of their minds to say, am I going to get something different or not? What are what are my real principles here? I like killing babies. Okay, I'm, uh, are all things considered equal? Otherwise, I'm not going to vote for the, the Republican because I like killing babies. I think people should be able to kill their babies. Fine. Uh, if, if, if you're part of the death cult, fine. Yeah, I get it. There's, there's exceptions, right? Let's, let's be real. 
There's gray areas with it. We're not going to get into it here, the gray areas of abortion. There's gray areas. There's Even as a pro-lifer, I can understand some of those gray areas, right? Now, I think where it came into play is if abortion was a little bit higher on the list of issues, right? On, on uh, Say, if, if you had someone going to the polls where abortion was like a top three issue for them, and it was somebody that was considering jumping over and voting Republican, but uh, abortion, that's a top three for me. I'm just going to stay status quo. So I think that's where it had um, had an effect, where it, it, it was really affected, really would have an effect in those closer races. To say it was a huge issue overall, grand scheme of things, I don't think so. I think that, would, that wouldn't be a, a fair assessment of the situation of the abortion issue. But in areas where, especially where messaging was garbled from the uh, from the Republican standpoint, yeah, it, it, it's sad to say it, it probably had an, an, uh, had an effect on on people. You know, really though, in, in kind of a separate note here, we'll finish up with this on kind of the abortion topic anyway as an issue. By and large, it's really an issue that panders to the bases of each party. I don't think that the end of the day, you're going to have a lot of of people, you know, changing positions, changing party over it. I think it gets blown out of proportion because it gets people mad. And what happens when people get mad? You think they want change? It drives. It's an. It's a um, uh, an issue that drives fear. It drives fear into people. Oh no, I'm not going to be. What if something happens? I'm not going to be able to get an abortion. So they use it as a as a divisive tool to. To, to drive political power, to, to grip political power. That's, that, that's what it is. I, the end of the day is it, by and large, it's, it's an issue that panders to, to bases of each party. That's it. It's not an uh, overall. If I'm going to look at this thing overall, and we're going to be honest here, my opinions on abortion notwithstanding, it's not a make or break issue for people. And I'll prove it to you in a second here um, on why it's really not, a make or break issue. It's not a huge issue that's going to swing elections. It's just not. Let's be honest. I put your feelings on it aside for a second. Put on the 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 logical, uh, you know, turn on the logical part of your brain for a second, and really ask yourselves the question: Is abortion going to make or break an election? No, it's not. It, it just isn't. Is it going to have an effect in pockets? Yes, it'd be unfair to say it wouldn't. Big. Big picture, large scale, is it going to sway an election large scale? No, and here's why. The interesting part on this abortion issue is that it's roughly equal uh, numbers on each side as far as to whether the voters agree with their party on abortion or not. So what you have is about 3 in 10, about 30% of voters in each party, Republican and Democrat, who do not agree with the party line on abortion, yet they still vote party line anyway. Very few cross over. It doesn't necessarily mean that the voters are pro-life or pro-choice. When I say that the, the uh, people, our voters, don't agree with their party line on, abor- on abortion. You have plenty of Democrats that are pro-life. You have plenty of Republicans that are pro-choice. Which goes to my point that 3 in 10... And that's a healthy chunk, right? If What if tomorrow, what if we said, okay, because there's 3 in 10 of Democrats 
in uh, that don't agree with the abortion issue, don't agree with their party's stance on abortion. They're going three and ten switching over to the Republican side to vote that way because they're more pro-life would be huge. It's not an insignificant number. And this is why, though I say it doesn't, it's not a huge issue because you still have 30% of either party that don't agree with the party line on abortion yet vote with the party anyway. So yes, it had a little bit of an impact overall, a huge impact, no. What I'll do is I've got, uh, it's a Pew Research study, I'll link it in the description box. It's a, uh, it's, it's a, a very fascinating read into kind of the mechanics of this and what people think. Like I said, it, it doesn't mean that the, the Democrats that disagree with the, the party line on abortion are all pro-life. There's, um, uh, you know, a few are, more just don't agree. Some are probably way extreme and say, yeah, let's, you know, let's give moms a week to decide if they want to kill their baby or not after their birth. Uh, to, um, you know, some that maybe favor more, uh, more call restrictions, I guess, might be the best way to put it, whether it be a 15-week, whether it be, you know, only in cases of rape, incest, whatever, right? So it's it's a, it's an interesting read. I'd, I encourage you to check it out. So one of the other things I saw as I was scanning social media, another one of the big topics is allegations of cheating. Though it didn't seem like there was that much, not as much as I would expect in, in terms of those allegations. Certainly, I'll put this out there, what's going on in Nevada and um, Arizona and certain California house districts right now really calls into question. It doesn't do anything to to, kind of give people confidence in the electoral system. Uh, Those places have just been an absolute mess and disaster right now. There's no way we should be counting votes a week plus after the election, as has been hinted around to in, in these, uh, these races. So th- those areas, outs, uh, you know, notwithstanding, we still had allegations of cheating. I'll, I'll put that out there. Do I think that they're being fair at the end of the day? Will those elections end up being fair? I you know what, You're at this point where I'm at with this whole thing, you better bring me some solid evidence to prove that there was something shady going on. We all know there's shady crap that goes on during elections. Bring me hard evidence that says uh, I lost by 10,000 votes. They had mules or whatever that hump ballots that, that uh, put my opponent over the top that did something illegal. That's where I'm at with this because it's 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 a not got to be a non-issue going forward. I'm sorry, it does. We know we now know what we have to do to protect our elections. If we can't get legislation passed, then that means as citizens we have to get involved in our electoral process. Whether that means being an election observer, a poll observer, where you're taking time, you're sitting, you're watching the polls, you're watching how people come in, get registered to vote, how they check in to vote or you're watching the counts at the end of the night to make sure everything's going all right, or you're watching the counts of the absentee ballots, get involved. I'm tired of people bitching about the cheating and not doing anything to get involved. Get involved. The second thing is, is uh, you know, if you can't pass legislation, then um, you got to keep pressing for it. You've, and that's both sides of the aisle. You, you just have to. You have to be involved in some way, shape, or form. 
because this is it's got it's a non-issue going forward. We know what the solutions are. It's legislation or it's getting more involved in uh, in your electoral process until you can get that legislation through the process. Th- those are the answers. We have the answers. Just freaking do it. Period. I don't want to hear any more about the cheating. Oh, I was cheated. I blah. Do something about it. Bring proof. You th- you dig it up and bring proof. Because this is it's just going to turn people off, especially when you got to get people to cross over to to your side in order to take uh, in order to take like the presidency or these senate seats or whatever. You got to have more than than election cheating. Sorry if that makes you mad. I'm sorry. Getting back to what I was uh, talking about, not as much allegations of cheating as I thought I would see in social media land. Maybe I didn't just scroll enough. I don't know. But there was a local journalist here that posed the question uh, on her Facebook page as to why our Democrat governor was reelected. It ran the gamut, but of course there was an all caps response to the effect that cheating was taking place, that cheating took place. Now, I had a response to this because Again, you can't, this can't just be the default. Cheating in the election just can't be the default as to why somebody lost. I'm sorry, it can't. My response to this person was, it was a very hard claim to make uh, that there was cheating going on when the Republican challenger to our dumb Democrat governor lost by three and a half points and that Milwaukee had their absentee ballots counted and in by 11 p.m. Milwaukee County being our biggest county in the state of Wisconsin. Very hard to claim cheating when you lost by three and a half points. And they, they, the news made a big production of that even, showing prior to 11 o'clock that the, the, uh, the, the elections uh, representative in Milwaukee County was walking the ballots into the, the, wherever they count them or walking the counts, whatever it was. The ballots were counted in into the total by 11 p.m. You you can't so that's a hard claim to make. You can't just claim cheat cheating without any sort of proof. And the the numbers here show that there probably wasn't any cheating. Three and a half points is a huge margin, and, and the numbers were consistent all night. It wasn't like Tim Michaels, who was challenging Tony Evers, Tim Michaels being the Republican, led at any point during the night. He honestly he didn't. So you can't make that claim. You can't even, to me, you can't even infer that. Now, to throw on top of all this, the cheating claim, Ron Johnson, I alluded to earlier, our Republican uh, senator from Wisconsin here, won re-election for the Senate. So you throw that in there and it's like really cheating. Ron Johnson won, and that was a seat the Democrats were targeting. $200 million were spent in this state to try and flip that seat, to, to take it from Ron Johnson. You, you can't make that claim. I'm sorry you can't make that claim here. Uh, you just can't. Bring proof. Start bringing proof. I'm, I'm tired of the claims of cheating, cheating, cheating. Bring me proof, right? Come on. I, I mean, I'll acknowledge. Can fraud, could fraud have happened? Yes, there's fraud in every election. Be honest. We're going to be honest with ourselves. Fraud happens in every election. Was it driving the outcomes of this election? No, I have a very hard time in looking at the numbers, especially here in Wisconsin, looking at those numbers and saying, no, they don't look like, not like I could after 2020 where you had things like, oh, well, normally there's like three point, whatever it was, 3% of ballots, mail-in ballots, absentee ballots that get rejected because something, right? 
in 2020, it was like 0.1% or whatever. Oh, there's questions there, right? Something shady obviously went on because we went from a historical standpoint of 3% of absentee ballots get rejected, whatever it is, three is sticking out my mind, to 0.1%. That's statistically impossible, honestly. Damn near impossible. So I didn't see it. I didn't see it in the numbers. I didn't see statistically that we had abnormalities in the data. So you can't say that there was cheating unless you've got major proof at this point. Now, the thing is, I think what helped in in quelling this is what I got uh, was getting at before. Get involved. That there's many people, more people, many more people that are active at the polls now, either working or watching them. I mean, we had poll observers. The one I worked, we had poll observers. I started at 1 p.m. And, and went till close, and we got done about 10. We had poll observers there that whole time. The whole time. In addition to people like me who are interested in ensuring our elections are, are fair and they're accurate, working the polls. And that goes for both sides. There's good people on both sides that just want fair elections. It's not a Republican thing. There's plenty of Democrats out there, too, that want to ensure our, the integrity of our elections. Unfortunately, those Democrats don't seem to be in positions of power. But there's many people on that side of the aisle, too, that just want to make sure, no matter the outcome, that things were fair and that, are, and, and that they're accurate, period. That, until we can get legislation passed, is how you combat the fraud. Get involved. So, yeah, I don't really buy the fraud aspect of things. There's plenty of tight races in traditionally blue areas that went the GOP's way. Hard claim to make that there's cheating going on. And I think, again, what's going on in Nevada, Arizona, and certain California House districts really calls into question and really makes people uh, question the integrity of our elections. I think, though, at the end of the day, what I'm watching and seeing is that it'll shake out the way it should shake out. Carrie Lake last night was on Hannity. I happened to watch it for a little bit because she was going to be on. Said, look, th what the Democrats are doing there, they're just releasing their votes as they get counted to make it look like they're, they're going to take this thing. She said her war room and the Democrats' war room both know that the outstanding votes, after they get, they're getting to the end of that, they know the outstanding votes are going to break Carrie Lake's way. It's that simple. Now, again, doesn't... Uh, it, it, the way things are going don't inspire confidence in the electoral system. But we have to rise above that. We have to elect people like Carrie Lake and uh, others to uh, be able to make the change to say, this is a really crappy way to run elections. We're not going to do it anymore. You have to watch the polls. You have to get involved. And you have to elect people that are going to make the change. That simple. Now, the biggest hindrance, I believe, to... Republicans not having as successful of a night as they could have. And let's be honest. Okay, well, before I get into this, let's be honest. It's been, I've been probably a little bit on the negative side here for, uh, for the majority of this show. Probably rightfully so. I think we were expecting a bigger wave. The end of the day, it was a successful election. We're going to take the House. Conservatives are going to take the House. And from what I'm seeing and hearing here is... People are pumping the brakes on Kevin McCarthy, which they rightfully can because that majority in the House is not going to be a huge majority. It's going to be a few seats. 
So I, I, I saw, I can't remember, it wasn't Jim Jordan, but it was um, someone else, the, the uh, leader of the Freedom Caucus in the House that um, made a comment in a story I read that said, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to pump the brakes on, on McCarthy here. We need to look at this from all angles and be sure that we have the right leadership in place to go forward. Hallelujah, absolutely. McCarthy's squishy. Let's be honest, he's squishy. With a narrow majority, though, is he going to be able to hold that Freedom Caucus together to get things done in the House? No, I don't know that he can. It's not like he's going to have, you know, a 20, 30-seat majority where he, uh, he can lose the Freedom Caucus and still get stuff passed. He's not going to have that luxury. And I don't think, because he's so squishy, he's going to be able to navigate that. And then just before I started recording this, I saw a story about Marco Rubio of all people, pumping the brakes on McConnell as far as leadership of the Senate. Things are changing. They don't change fast, but they, they do change eventually. And, and that's what we've got to, to celebrate here is, yeah, we didn't get a, a, a vast majority in the House like we were planning, a 30-seat majority like we were maybe thinking, um, but we got a majority. We're on the edge of a majority in the Senate. I mean, it, it looks like Nevada's going to go Republicans' way. So that gets us to 50 seats in the Senate. And depending how things break, look, listening to Blake Masters, kind of in the same position as Kerry Lake, but he's down a little, uh, probably I'd call it significantly further than Kerry Lake is for governor in his race. Even he thinks that with the outstanding vote left and how things have been trending and coming in, he's going to be able to eke out a, a win in the Senate. So... Let's say that happens. Okay, now there's a majority of the Senate for the Republicans, and Georgia is inconsequential at that point, though I do want Herschel Walker to win. Georgia doesn't matter as much at that point. So if Georgia decides they want to screw up again and, and, and uh, reelect Warlock there, fine. Uh, there's still a, major, a Republican majority in the Senate. Fine. So there, there's still optimism out there. There's still wins out there. And even if, even if Masters doesn't pull it out, I think Herschel Walker pulls it out in Georgia. It's going to be tight. It's going to be narrow, but I think he pulls it out in Georgia. Republicans then have the Senate as well. Honestly, we only need one house to stop the agenda. Having both houses uh, is, is preferred, obviously, because of the, the things the Senate controls, like nominations, especially SCOTUS nominations, things like that. It's important to 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 um to have the Senate from that regard, absolutely. But if if we end up only having the House, that's enough to derail Biden's agenda. Period. Because he's shown no inkling of pulling a Clinton and coming back to the middle. He said he's not going to. So, and we know that as much as Biden lies, when it comes to stuff that he's going to do the, the dictator talk, let's call it, we know that he's not going to turn from that. So we know that if Biden says, I'm not changing my agenda one bit, he's not going to, period. So we have the House. We can at least stop that. If we get the Senate, that's a cherry on top of the cake. And if we don't, well, we hope that there's no uh, need for, for SCOTUS nominations for the next couple of years. You know, that's, that's at the end of the day, that's what... Uh, that, that you know, that's what the hope is there, and we hope that there's no other nominations that need to be made to federal uh, agencies, because you know that's the other thing the Senate confirms. So, reason for optimism. But 
kind of getting back here. I just wanted to throw that in there because it has seemed very negative. We have some things to be, uh, to be upbeat and positive about here. It wasn't a total washout. It's not like the Democrats continue to hold all three branches of government. They don't, we have issues. We know we got to put people in position to fix them. We have a path now to stop the agenda of Biden. We have a path. It looks like very promising path to at least have a one seat, you know, two seat majority, I guess, in the Senate. So it's still in front of us. We just have to, you know, hope that the Senate breaks our way. And if it, if it doesn't, then, you know, we got work to do for next time. Fine. Now back to what I believe was the biggest hindrance of Republicans is the messaging. As I said before on shows, other shows, political parties are just giant marketing machines. That's what they are. They're giant marketing machines. They're just trying to honestly, as we've gone further along here, policy seems to be secondary to popularity at this point. You know, once again, because of this, because the, the, the parties are marketing machines and in a number of cases, once again, GOP candidates didn't do enough to differentiate themselves from the Democrat. They just didn't. Now, Jessica Tarlov, of all people, made an actual good point on Fox's election night coverage. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. But as I watch coverage, my local coverage and and uh, you know the the news channels coverage, there were things that the Democrats, you know, left leaning people said that I actually agreed with. Uh, and that's how it should be. We you know we don't. No one group has the market cornered on good ideas and and how things should run. So. I was like, well, okay, I, Jessica Tarloff, I actually agree with you on that point. And that point was this. She said that Republicans were doing what they accused. Now, of course, she's a Democrat. She's not going to take accountability for, for this. But she said that Republicans were doing what they accused Democrats of doing to Trump. And, and those Republicans were just shouting Biden, 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 and not offering any real solutions. Well, true enough. A tr- very true statement. Because this is an election where Republicans needed to get disaffected Democrats on their side to vote for them, especially in really tight races. And the GOP candidates in some of these areas didn't offer any solutions. They just screamed about Biden. They just screamed, Biden, Biden, Biden. Biden did this. Biden did that. Biden caused your inflation. So vote for me. And that's at the the House and Senate level on down to your state levels. Now, in our governor's race, I got numerous mailers trying to pin the inflation issue on our Democrat governor. Well, what's the problem with that? Our governor has nothing to do with causing inflation. The money supply is solely controlled by the federal government. So as a governor of a state, you're running for governor of a state, and inflation's a problem, you're going to try and pin that problem on the current sitting governor, it just doesn't work. State-level officials had nothing to do with inflation. That's a huge messaging error there. People see through that. They know, especially in the no voters on either side, know that, well, our governor, he didn't really have anything to do because what's inflation? It's, it's more money in the system than what you have goods to purchase. It's a, we've had a huge increase in the money supply. Who did that? Washington, Washington, D.C., the politicians there, Biden honestly goes back to Trump and the whole COVID 
the whole COVID bills and, and, and stimulus. Big messaging error there. Yes, Biden is historically unpopular. He is, but he's not on the ballot here. He's not. Honestly, you shouldn't even be mentioning his name. He's not on the ballot. Democrats who would vote along with him in Washington or who tow the Democrat Party line at the state level are the ones that were on the ballot. Those candidates and their policy positions were the ones where the focus needed to be. Not Joe Biden. I'm sorry, not Joe Biden. And since there was no distinction in messaging, nothing from Republicans saying this is how we're going to make things better, here's what we're going to do different, they just screamed Biden, Biden, Biden. The people stuck with what they already had in in a lot of these cases, resulting in less seats flipping to Republican hands than what was originally thought was going to happen. It's about marketing. It's about messaging. It's about the task at hand and who's in front of you, no matter how unpopular the guy sitting in the White House is. They, they didn't understand that. They don't understand marketing. And because of that, it's apparent on a, a large scale here. You look at the overall picture. We, from a conservative standpoint, from a Republican standpoint, didn't do as well as we thought we were going to do. All right, subscriptions are one of the big ways podcasts get discovered. So if you could please do me a favor... And whatever platform you may be listening or viewing on, please hit the subscribe button. It will give you an alert every time a new Living with Liberty is published. And the subscriptions help us get into the recommendations so others can find the show. All right, last topic for today. Has Donald Trump become a lead weight around the neck of the GOP? Is his act wearing thin to the point where people are faced with the choice of a Trump-endorsed candidate or Trump himself eventually in 2024, or the leftist Democrat incumbent, are they going to stick with the incumbent? Now, some of you are going to be mad at this next segment. I've seen it all over social media. I mean, people just coming to the, the aid of Trump, if you will, rushing to defend him. He, oh, he's done so many great things. I get it. If you're, some of you are going to be mad at this, and I'm sure you may even turn off the show. But there's some things we need to be aware of. There's things we need to look at objectively here. You just have to. And and if you're mad about what I'm about to say, I'd invite you to look deep in your soul and ask yourself, why am I mad about what Ryan's saying? Why am I mad about this? Is it because you think I'm off base and you don't want to go deeper and say and look at the whole objectivity of the situation? And you just you you're mad at me because I'm attacking a, a popular guy here? Uh, you have to look at the whole picture. This is, uh, you can't just blindly pick somebody because they're popular. Uh, you just can't. I mean, we obviously blindly picked a president that's unpopular. Joe Biden was unpopular when he was elected, but uh, Trump uh, still has popularity. Don't get me wrong, but there's things that are going on now. We need to ask ourselves hard questions And we need to ask ourselves, is he hurting the cause of conservatism by his antics? Is he putting himself above conservatism? And that's the major problem here. Look, I like what Trump did in office. He did the most he could while fighting the swamp around him inside and outside the Republican Party. But at the end of the day, I am am the cause. I am the cause above political candidate and certainly above party. 
I've said it before. If there was a Democrat who was a pro-life Democrat who ran on conservative messaging, I would vote for the Democrat. They'd have to prove that they had a history of bucking the party line when it came to votes, especially in those key policy areas. But if I put them up against a big spending liberal Republican, I'd go with the conservative Democrat. That's what I'm talking about. You have to look at candidate over everything else. And you have to look at cause even above that candidate. It's cause, candidate, and then, you know, maybe party. Maybe. Right? If Trump's going to continue to put himself above the conservative cause, if he's going to continue to take shots at people like Ron DeSantis, he's going to lose support, plain and simple. I I saw just before jumping on here, he's taking shots at Glenn Youngkin now. Come on. The, The guy is a narcissist. He's petty. And he can't handle that there's rising conservative stars in the Republican Party. He can't handle it. He can't handle that they're challenging his popularity. And that's what this is. It's not about the cause with him. It's about his popularity, love, and adulation. In that respect, he's just as bad as Biden as wanting everybody to pat him on the back and like him. We cannot make Trump the golden calf of the conservative movement. To be honest, he's not the gatekeeper of conservatism. He's not the only one that can keep the conservative movement going forward. He's not the engine behind it. We the people are. Yes, again, he did good things. He awoken a lot of people to what was going on. He did good things. Don't get me wrong. But he's not the only one that can accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And I would say he might not even be the best one at this point. I get it. He's a showman. He's, he, he engages in puffery. But he's also a narcissist. The minute he thinks he's not the center of attention, he goes on the attack. And the, the problem is... And we think about the future now. We think about this strategically. He's divisive. He's very divisive. I think we might, we did, we needed that at the, that, at the time in 2016. I don't think we need that type of divisiveness now. If we learned anything from the midterms, it's this. It's that conservatives are going to need to break the tribalism that is going on. They're going to need to reach out to the other side. And we're going to need it if we are going to take more Senate, more House seats, as well as the presidency in 2024. The tribalism needs to be broken. Trump is not going to break the tribalism. We're going to need to capture those centrist and left-leaning independents, as well as the disenfranchised moderate Democrats that we didn't capture in this midterm because of messaging problems, possibly because of Trump endorsements. Because of what Trump said. Yes, he's the leader of the Republican Party de facto at this point. I would argue that Ron DeSantis is quickly ascending that ladder. Glenn Youngkin is probably not far behind him. We don't need a divisive narcissist leading the party, especially when we have to capture centrist and moderate Democrat votes and centrist and left-leaning independent votes in order to win elections. We don't need somebody putting cause, putting country behind their own power, well-being, 
and mental health. Sorry. If that makes you mad, I'm sorry. That's the truth. We are going to need the Republicans to get better at messaging. That includes Trump. Honestly, that includes Trump. We need them to be better at messaging. The 2024 rolls around. It's going to need to be more than Biden, 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 and that the election was stolen. And that, But that's where I think Trump's message is going to be. The message is going to have to be more tangible on uh, what are those differences in policies that are going to improve people's lives, that are going to put more money in people's pockets, that are going to ensure that people's rights are not trampled by an overreaching, tyrannical government. And they're going to need to be policies that are going to have uh, that, that have a, a demonstrative plan as to what's going to be done to secure our communities, states, and country. Screaming about how awful Biden is and screaming about stolen elections are not going to get it done. Sorry, that's a fact and a learning point from these midterms. It just is. My confidence is pretty low right now that Trump would have any other message, but Biden sucks and my, the election was stolen from me, so vote for me. My confidence is low that Trump will be able to break his petty habits. If Trump doesn't pivot his message to what he will do to improve the lives of Americans, that's all Americans. Like I said, you've got to reach across the aisle, man. You have to. If he continues to let pettiness get in the way and divisiveness get in the way of overall conservative goals, if he continues to take shots at Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin and whoever else he feels like taking a shot on uh, that day, and, you know, Ron DeSantis, I don't even get that because, by the way, I believe he's on record saying he won't consider a presidential run if Trump runs. If Trump doesn't change his tune... Not only will he not be the nominee out of the Republican primary, it will likely rip the Republican Party apart to the point where we won't even be competitive in the next election. Republicans will end up with another McCain or Romney as the nominee because they're just get-along-to-go-along kind of guys and weak. And the conservative movement will get uh, be set back. The conservative will, it will be set back, period. We'll, you know, not only will we see low T Joe stay in the White House for four more years or until his death, whichever comes first at that point, dude will be like 82. But the gains that were made in this year's midterms very well could be wiped out by the, this, this rapture, this fracturing of the, of the Republican party. And we'll be right back to where we were at the end of the 2020 election cycle. We'll be fighting the same uphill battles. Trump continuing down this path of narcissism and pettiness will make him a giant lead weight that is just, it just drags down the Republican Party. No candidate is above the conservative movement, period. I don't care what Trump has done. I don't care what mean tweets he's sent out. No candidate is above the overall mission of returning our country to American values, to making our country the greatest nation on earth again. No candidate is above that. And again, Trump is not the only one that can accomplish that. As conservatives, we talk a lot about what Reagan did. Reagan is, you know, and, and Reagan did a lot of great stuff. 
Now, did we see Reagan taking public pot shots at others within the party because he viewed them as a threat to his power and popularity? I don't recall any. Now, granted, I was in elementary school uh, when, when Reagan was president. But even as I go back through history, I look at things, I research things, I didn't see any headlines about Reagan taking shots at Bush or any other prominent Republicans of the day. It just didn't happen. It, you know, in the primaries, it sucks that it happens in the primaries. I think it's, it's, it doesn't help the Republican candidate uh, when it happens in the primaries. But, you know, it's certainly not going to help any candidates when you see Trump doing it very publicly on a national level. Reagan didn't do that. As voters, not only do we need to do our research, and in this political age where our country is sitting right now, we're teetering. I mean, it's, it's not pretty right now. We can fix it. And what, what do we need to do to fix it? We need to be thinking about which candidates, particularly statewide and national office levels, have the most appeal not only to us as their base, to not only to conservatives, their base, they're pretty solid, but which candidates are going to appeal to those on the fence about crossing over and trying something different. Be real. Trump right now is not that candidate. And if you're mad about that, again, I invite you to check back within deep within your soul and ask yourself, why am I mad about that statement? I'm going to guarantee you it probably fits with my rule that if you're mad about something, especially if it's about yourself, then it's probably true. If you're mad at that statement that Trump is not that candidate right now that's going to reach across the aisle and win an election for the conservative cause, it's probably because I'm right about that. Being the loudest and most forceful person in the room does not make you a leader. It doesn't make you right. It doesn't make you the one that's going to change everything. There are plenty of loud people out there who don't do a damn thing. What, what's going to do that? It's going to be having an actual plan, realizing the end goal is bigger than you, and not throwing your team members under the bus, not turning off people on the other side of the aisle that you need to swing to your point of view in order to win an election. If Trump does make it through the primary, he will have my vote. I, he will. I, you can't go with Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom or whoever on the Democrat side they might try it out, try it out in 2024. You just can't. It, it wouldn't be sustainable for our country. So, even through all this, if Trump made it through a, the Republican presidential primary, he would have my vote. But up until that point, up through the primary and their results, he, Donald Trump, will be vetted through my process that I do along with every other candidate. I will compare them all side by side, whoever they are, are at that point, you know, match them up, make sure I'm comparing apples to apples. What does each one bring? How's the messaging? Because that's going to be key. Does that candidate have appeal across the aisle? Because that's also going to be key. And that's how I will vote in the primary. And if it's Donald Trump through the primary and he's the presidential nominee on the Republican side, then I will vote for him. Fine. But he's got a lot of work to do. He's got to change the messaging. He's got to start focusing on the cause. He's got to start focusing on America. Period. End of story. All right. Before I go... Don't forget to tune in live to Rucksack Radio on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central for Laughs and Liberty with Tom and myself. You can catch us live on Riverside FM or on Rumble. We'd love to see you all with us and engaging in the chats. We always have a lot of fun with the chats. A lot of good comments come in the chats, and we, we banter them about on the show. So join us 7 p.m. Central. 
Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. 